Welcome back to season two of Gold Ribbon Conversations, the podcast created to support families fighting childhood cancer in Ireland. Six children, adolescents and young adults are diagnosed with cancer every week in Ireland and the Gold Ribbon, which illuminates precious light, love, courage and compassion, is a symbol of strength and solidarity for each and every one. My name is Sinead O'Moore and it is my privilege to bring you this podcast on behalf of Childhood Cancer Ireland, a charity founded by and led by parents of children with cancer and survivors who know that one of the greatest sources of strength for this fight is conversation. Throughout this podcast, I talk to families impacted by childhood cancer, as well as the experts who care for our children's health, education and happiness. Yes, we talk about the fear and the pain, but we also talk about the hope and the friendship and the community that exists here, because you are not alone. Childhood Cancer Ireland values every single donation while on its mission to help more children, adolescents and young adults survive cancer and thrive as adults and support all those dealing with the long-term effects of illness and trauma. You can help by sharing this podcast and by texting GOLD to 50300 and donating €4 Euro or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. In this episode, we catch up with a truly inspiring guest from season one, Nikki Bradley. Nikki survived cancer as a young adult 20 years ago and has shared how treatment has had a lasting impact on her physical and mental health. While it has given her a powerful mindset, it caused chronic pain. Nikki's resilience to secure her future led her to make the decision to have a rotation plasty earlier this year. This is a massive surgery, an amputation and limb rotation where her knee joint is now her hip joint and her heel will anchor a prosthetic leg. A reminder of the impact that childhood cancer can have. A reminder of how this fight forms the adult. A reminder of why we must continue to learn how to support, treat and listen. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us again, this time on the second season of Gold Ribbon Conversations. The last time we spoke, you shared your story of when you were a teen, when you were diagnosed and the process around, I suppose, you then and how cancer is, you know, it's a lifelong, has lifelong implications. Tell us I don't even know how, how to even begin describing the journey that you've just been on over the last few months, but I have been incredibly inspired by it. I've been watching you on, on Instagram share what you've gone through. Um, and I appreciate that, that is only a tiny, tiny, tiny scrape of the actual reality. So what has been going on? OK, so first of all, thank you for having me. It's so nice to be back. Um, yeah, so since February of this year, I have been experiencing a whole new world and a whole new level of being I suppose um I decided last year to have a rotation plasty which is quite an unusual and very complex surgery where it's a form of amputation um my particular version of it uh, was where they removed the hip um and removed the upper part of my thigh um they reattached my lower leg before after rotating at 180 degrees 
I know even as I'm saying this, it sounds <laughs> not making any sense. I think to be honest, the best thing to do is either go on my Instagram or Google it um, and you'll get the proper kind of terminology. But in a nutshell, I now have a knee joint acting as a hip joint and my ankle joint will eventually act as my knee when I get my prosthetic. So as I keep saying, it's the best form of recycling I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> there were so many parts of my body that worked perfectly, but I always felt that like from the thigh down, that part of my right leg never stood a chance because my hip was the the star of the show for 20 years um and it caused so many setbacks and it it stopped me from making full use of the rest of that leg um and in some ways as much as physically I look very different now and it's taken quite a long time I probably will probably go into that a little bit later on but mm. the the visual aspect of it has has taken a long time to get used to but once I'm fitted with my prosthetic the the purpose of this operation will will become apparent um, it'll you know it'll become far more obvious um, than it is right now. And the reason that I did it in a nutshell is to secure my future. Um, I was experiencing quite a lot of back and neck pain during lockdown. And after speaking to specialists, they essentially said your back and your neck are all that pain. It's secondary. It's coming from the problem with your hip. And until you fix your hip, you're not going, your back and your neck will just continue to worsen. And that scared me because that was the first time I've really experienced like severe, severe pain. Like I've always had somewhat of, of a bad lower back um, because of my hip, but to feel the that level of pain up in my neck and for it to stop me from doing all the adventuring and all the things that I loved doing, that was a real eye opener. Um, and I'm, I'm 36 now. I'm still young, not as young as I used to be, but I'm still young and I still have so much more that I want to do. And I was terrified at the thought that my body would stop not only the adventuring, but the day to day living. And suddenly that decision to have the rotation plastic became a lot easier to make. Did it feel like you had to conquer this again because you couldn't allow cancer to interrupt the life you wanted to lead again it did and in some ways like I I often think that the cancer element to my story was just the very beginning it was 20 years ago I was diagnosed um in 2002 um it was over 20 years ago um it's sorry yeah 20 years (laughs) it um but it just feels like that part of my story so much of it I've already forgotten um it was the aftermath of my cancer diagnosis it was the treatment for my cancer that caused all the lasting damage for me and ascent it was radiotherapy and was the the big one that caused all the issues but even though all the issues i've had have stemmed from cancer i i do feel a somewhat of a disconnect in some ways from that part of my life um well i had and then when all of this started happening I, I, I reevaluated everything. Um, I look back on a few things. I, I reached out to a few people um, and I, I asked questions. Um, I, I, I sought out advice. Um, and yeah, actually, I did find myself back in the whole world of the cancer community, but in a different, I, I don't know, I nearly felt like I was wearing a different hat. Mm. Um, I wasn't, I certainly didn't feel like a cancer patient. Um, I just felt like I was, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain. Um, I just felt that I, I needed, I certainly needed to reach out to that community um, and, and ask for help. Um, like, for example, um, I'm, I'm a member of a rotation plasty group on Facebook. 
and everybody that's in that group has been affected. Most people have been affected by cancer um, and they're dealing with having a rotation plasty as a result. And the because the, the operation is so rare, there's so few people in Ireland that I could kind of reach out to, whereas this group, they're obviously based around the world and they've been able to give me advice that has made life so much easier for me. How did you feel when it was first described to you as a as a way that you know you could fix the the pain you could do what you said which was to to support your future but it's it because it's so extreme because it's so rare like when you sat down and this was proposed to you where did your head go well it was first mentioned a couple of years ago so I made the decision last year but my first introduction to it was with my consultant um sitting down with him over in Birmingham um he he googled it for me and showed me um on his laptop um and I was to be honest I was somewhat horrified I'm not gonna sugarcoat it um and when people google it at home um they will be quite shocked with what they see um so my initial feelings towards it were very negative and I I've I straight up refused it at the start um now bearing in mind a couple of years ago I wasn't in the pain that I to say Back maybe four years ago before the pandemic I wasn't experiencing the level of pain that I went on to experience as a result of lockdown and um, when I couldn't access the services that I'd been heavily relying on um, so in some ways it was easier to turn it down back then but when I started looking at it um, with new eyes last year and started properly researching it and thinking about whether I could actually make this happen that the fear started to go away um, and the the negativity that I felt towards it um, just started to dissolve a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, there's a message in there about looking at the bigger picture rather than focusing on my new detail, which it will eventually become a minute detail of actually having the operation. Um, so, yeah, it was a process, but I, I thankfully got there. I suppose it's it's all about you know, we all make those kind of decisions like, you know, is it worth it is, around little things that go on in our life? And until you are in real deep need, sometimes we don't we don't see the solution that's that's looking at us. But it is I can completely empathize with anybody saying no early on because it's been a massive process and trauma to your body again. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, I haven't up until this this year, I hadn't had surgery since 2012. So it's, you know, it's a long time to be out of the operating room. Um, and I'm not somebody that fears surgery. Um, you know, I've had multiple hip replacements, broken femur, like quite a lot of big operations over the, the last, maybe especially the last 15 to 18 years um, after my, my tumor was, was removed. So I wasn't scared of the actual surgery. Um, but getting back into that whole world, um, you kind of have to prepare yourself. Um, and when I did, when I did eventually make the decision, it was after I was presented with three options. So I wasn't just told this is, this is all that we can offer you. But when I looked at the pros and cons of all three, it suddenly dawned on me that actually, even though I was offered three solutions, the rotation plasty was really the only one. The first, I was, the first thing I was offered was 3D printed hip. So essentially, it would have been a third hip replacement on the right-hand side um, using a 3D printer. It sounded cool, sounded very cutting edge. I was definitely drawn by it, drawn in by it. 
But once we actually looked at what it would entail, the amount of metal that would be put into my body, it very quickly became clear that by going with that option, I would be opening myself up to infection again. Um, I was told that the chance of infection with this surgery would be one in two. That's Those odds aren't good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> especially as the reason that, that, that they were so bad for me was because I had um, an infection in my first hip prosthetic. Um, and once you've had an infection in that area, you're much more likely to have one again. Um, and that resulted in have. I had to have everything removed when that happened um, and have a second hip replacement. So like, it's not like a normal infection where you're treated with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. The, you know, what ends up happening is, is monumental. So we kind of, we scratched that one off straight away. Um, and then the only other option apart from rotation plasty was um, a hind quarter amputation. That's a full right leg amputation. So I did actually, as scary as that seems, I did think about that quite seriously. Um, because I was kind of thinking if the rotation plastic goes wrong, I'm going to eventually face full right leg amputation anyway. So should I just cut my losses, put out the middleman and go straight for what I felt at the time was my destiny almost. Um, but when I looked at that and when I spoke to my consultant, I was educated on it. I just thought, you know, it's obviously huge to lose your entire leg from the hip joint. But I didn't think about anything further than that. He made me very aware that if I didn't have a pelvis on that side, um, that my organs, that, you know, parts of my torso could start basically making their way downwards because there was nothing anchoring them in place. That terrified me. Like the thought of in my head, if I went for the huge operation of a hindquarter amputation, that would solve all the problems. I would never have to have surgery again. I would never have to think about any of that again. But actually what could end up happening is that I end up having huge secondary issues in areas that I never had problems before. And that was like, I just wasn't prepared to take that on. Like I felt I'd been through enough to be without having to worry about all of that. So then that was off the table. And then suddenly we were left with rotation plasty. And even with that, I was very, you know, from day one, I w- it was made very clear that this wasn't wasn't going to be easy and there was a chance that it wouldn't work so it was a really difficult decision to have to make and it's the first time I've decided on a surgery every other time it was out of my hands and in some ways that makes it easier because you're just going with the flow essentially whereas this was very much if it goes wrong it's on me so it certainly wasn't a decision I took lightly. How much did you have to pull on all the life lessons that you've taken with you since your diagnosis and that you share through your work you know uh, did did you find yourself having to go back into the toolkit and be like how do I even come get my head together to go through this absolutely I think if I hadn't have gone through everything I've gone through I well I wouldn't be where I, I am now with this you know everything happens for a reason um and there's you know that series of events led me to this and definitely like there was you know, I was even able to visualize I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to make myself. As soon as I thought about surgery, I would think back to the various times in the various countries. Like I've had, I had my second, um, well, it was, it was a space to put in, but it was essentially my second hip replacement in Australia. I spent six weeks in the Charles Gardner Hospital um, in Perth in 2011. So that was a huge moment in my life, like to be on the other side of the world, away from all of my family, having huge surgery. Um, was huge at the time but 
as you say, it, it went into the toolbox. And as soon as I started thinking about this surgery, I started thinking about all those huge moments in my life. And, you know, I was able to give myself that pep talk, talk and say, well, you got through all of that. Um, and look at what you're able to do afterwards. Um, and I, you know, I brought back up all the, the various adventuring stuff that I've done um, and just allowed myself to feel almost proud of myself that I had been able to conquer all of that. Um, and it certainly, you know, it pushed me forward because like my to-do list is endless in terms of the world of adventure and just in terms of living a, a good and decent life. Um, and this surgery would allow me to do that. And that's all I had to kind of really think about towards the end. When I was following you on Instagram just before the surgery, I, I got a sense of you, you and obviously Instagram is not the reality, okay? Let's 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 absolutely say that loud. But whilst you were going into battle, you seemed really alive with facing the battle. You know, you you, you almost you were like, "Come on, let's let's do it now. Let's just get on with it. Let's just let's let's begin this phase. I'm ready." Yeah. And I watching that I just like I took real inspiration from it because obviously no doubt in my mind there was weeks and months beforehand where that's not how you felt but when you were at that point of going in to to have it to begin it your mind at least to my mind looked really resilient and strong yeah it's it's I'm glad that you kind of noticed that because um as, as much as it wasn't intentional for people to notice it but I'm somebody that I take it, take my time making a decision, but when it's made, it's made. Mm. So on the 26th, I think it was of August, I officially, like I said, sat my family down um, and I said, like, I have, I have come to this um, decision. I'm, I'm going to go ahead with it. Um, and that's that. But once I had done that, I was ready to have the surgery the next day, but then I had to wait till February and that wait and everybody that's listening that has had a cancer diagnosis knows that wait when you from from diagnosis to treatment um, or for one treatment to the next, it is it's horrible. It really is because you're in your head, you're ready, you know, and if anybody is facing a, um, you know, starting their treatment, you will get to a point where you are just ready to, as you say, go into battle. Um, but unfortunately, you know, just because you're ready doesn't mean that maybe the hospital's ready or whatever. Um, and yeah, I found I found it almost excruciating having to wait. However, now that I'm at the other side of it, I'm so grateful that I did because I did, I needed that time. Um, like once I had the surgery, I very quickly realized that this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, and if I had have been, say on the 26th of August, said yes, and then on the 27th had the surgery, <clears throat> I wouldn't have actually been ready. I, I only thought I was. Um, and you took, like obviously you mentioned Instagram for me, the decision to go so public with the whole story. It's the first time that I've been able to do that when I was diagnosed. Obviously, there was no Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Barely mobiles in Ireland at that stage. Um, so I and it wasn't something I would even think about. This time around, when I made the decision to have the surgery, I very quickly also made the decision to share it publicly. And that was for one very specific reason. Because when I searched rotation plasty, the images that I found scared me to my core. They are the reason that I held off on having it because they terrified me. I couldn't relate to anybody that was in these pictures 
Um, a, because a lot of them were children, unfortunately, but a lot of them were male and um, much older than me as well. And, and then a lot of the images that came up were just medical, you know, almost like animated illustrations. They weren't even because so few people have had it. There's very few proper images out there. And when I said that I was going to have this, I wanted the person that's coming up behind me to find my story, not those images to find a, hopefully, a, like, I don't know how this is going to end, but hopefully a positive ending to this story. Um, and to see that it's, you know, it's a relatively young woman that's got back on her on her two feet um, eventually when I get my prosthetic and goes back out and rejoins society and continues to live. And that's suddenly when I thought like that, I thought I have to document this on Instagram. Like, I don't even have a choice anymore. This is just part of what I have to do. And also because I was terrified of how I was going to look, it almost made it easier for, for me to share the images online before my peers and everyone around me saw me in person. It was almost like a, you know, just a practice run um, because I was terrified of meeting people for the first time. You know, if I had kept very private about this and I met people in my local town, um, they would have been, I, I just know what their faces would have been like had they seen me without knowing. Um, and it, it really helped me to share all of that um, beforehand. So it was kind of nice to be able to do both, to hope to share, to help others, but also allow them to help me. The whole reason I share it on Instagram is so that people can see it and relate to it. And if I have this lovely polished, perfect, that if I only post the, the good bits, um, people won't understand when they're facing something like that, what actually is involved in it um, and it's you know I had my friend take over my account whenever I was mm -hmm. over there and I'm, I look back on those those posts there recent very recently last week because I was on so much medication after the operation so I'd, I'd forgotten everything I'd forgotten all the lovely comments that I received and it was so therapeutic to read through them again and they will always be there to help me now and um, they're not going anywhere and it's been a positive thing to do I think. So my other take then after watching you kind of face into the battle was the reality of the battle, <laughs> you know, and there were days where the battle felt too much. There were unexpected consequences of the battle if it came to kind of nerve pain or, you know, using your tray to lift the blanket because you couldn't deal with the sensation of it on, on your body. It was honestly, a an incredible gift that you could do that that you could explain in such an honest and open way what actually was happening it did what you do again which was to create little moments of motivation for us all to change the perspective around what it is that we might be facing into today and saying yes but it's for the greater good of the future yeah like the the down days and the the hard parts, they're very much still happening. Um, over six months on, seven months actually. What day is today? Nearly seven months since I had my surgery. Um, and I'm still like that nerve pain you mentioned. That's still very much with me. Now, thank God, it's not as bad as it used to be. Um, like just even to quickly explain the earlier days, like for the first maybe two months, I don't know why. Um, but at you could almost set your watch to it at about six o'clock every evening from that time for the rest of the night until I went to sleep the nerve pain was almost unbearable 
it would start off with a, a feeling of tightness in my foot, like someone was slowly squeezing my foot. And it would just over the evening, it would build and build the feeling of like a burning sensation was like you mentioned about not being able to have the, the duvet on my foot that that any material rubbing the skin felt like sandpaper on an open wound. It was almost just horrendous. Um, but the, the tray was such a, a brilliant solution that came from a, an amazing gift. My friend Olga sent me a care package Um, she, she was so good from day one of, of me having this operation. Um, she just she just put everything on this tray and then wrapped it all up and it had been sitting in my room on my dresser which faces me when I'm lying in bed and I was looking around the room one evening just racking my brain thinking like what could I do I'd been googling things that you know there is you know proper official bracket things that you can put but they're absolutely huge um they they just would have been completely impractical impractical for me to use and I was scanning the room and my eyes just settled on the tray and it happened to be one of those trays that the legs collapsed but you can you know you it it was the perfect height for me to fit my legs underneath. Um, and it just became the hero of the day. <laughs> the most simple solution. And I found moments like that happening all the time where I was dealing with multiple setbacks, not setbacks, multiple um, challenges as an amputee that I, I couldn't prepare for because you have to feel it. You have to be in it to know what it's like. Um, one of the things, you know, I'm obviously very independent and I really hated and still hate having to rely on people for the small things. I hated not being able to just make a cup of coffee and bring it into the sitting room with me. Um, I tried multiple different ways of carrying it, but in the earlier days where it was painful to hop, um, I would just spill it everywhere and I'd get mm. frustrated and I would get angry. Um, and then I found a little, I was obviously using the wheelchair at this stage um, and I found a little, just a little gadget that clips onto the wheelchair. It's a cup holder and built-in phone holder. They were the two things that I just, as long as I have my coffee and my phone, I'm grand. Um, and it was such, a, I think it cost about eight quid. It was such a small thing, but it made a huge difference. And it really, it my mindset started changing again and becoming more positive again and accepting my new reality when I was able to find these little gold nuggets that helped along the way um, and and even just you know reading different blog posts from other people that um, have gone before me and what you know the little solutions that they found helped me so much adapting yeah 100% that's that's what it is um, and it's in the moment when you are in that process of adapting it's not fun it's very frustrating. Um, and even now, you know, one of the things that I, I'm struggling with the most is not being able to drive. I it's drive it, it's it's driving me bananas. Um, I just love being able to hop in my car and go. Um, and anybody that drives knows that feeling. Um, and if you've ever had a moment in your life where driving has been taken away from you, like maybe you broke your leg or whatever, um, you know what it feels like to feel trapped. And that's like I live in the countryside, and as much as everyone around me has been so good. I want to just be able to get up, jump into the car, go to the shop, not have to constantly make lists, shopping lists, like be able to just go, if I run out of milk, be able to go and get it myself. These things are absolutely tiny, but they all add up um, and they all give you that, that sense of independence that everybody needs. So it's my goal at the moment, you know, to get, to get back on the road as quickly as I can. Um, because, you know, even for my work, 
I was down in Cork um, and Cork and a few a few other places that are nowhere near Donegal and I basically have to rope the whole family into getting me there um, and I'm, I'm delighted that they're so great that they can do that but I'm longing for the day where I can just get into the car and do that journey myself once again. So to have to go through this six, seven month period and be patient, it has taught me a lot. Um, you know, it's it has helped me focus on the bigger picture and, you know, focus on a little bit further down the line um, and accept. Acceptance is a huge thing with this. Accept that this is what I need to do right now to secure my future and remind myself, as you say, like, um, you know, I didn't put myself through all of this to feel how I feel right now. I put myself through all of this to get back out there and to take off a few things that I haven't been able to do. Um, not just in adventuring, but in life, like very small things, like before I had my operation, I, my hip was in some ways kind of fused where I, if I was sitting, I wouldn't be able to bend forward to touch my knee. Um, I, I was almost like in a sitting position. I had to sit upright. Um, and that day to day, you know, putting on your shoes and socks in the morning, it's something we all take for granted. You just do it and you out you go. For me, I wasn't able to do that easily. I had to basically bend my leg behind me to get my shoe on and that was something I had to do every day you know those little things all add up um, and they can become an issue Um, now I have much more movement because obviously my knee is now my, my knee joint which was a healthy joint is now acting as my hip so I, I can move much more easily and um, even now when I'm still recovering so that'll continue to improve and those little things are, are so important to me um, they were the things that I thought about when I was making this decision. You know, I want the pain in my hip to go away. I don't want to constantly feel like I have to stand up to stretch out that area. I want to just be comfortable. Um, and yeah, it's I've reminded myself of that numerous times over the last couple of months when it has been getting very difficult that just keep just keep going. Just keep swimming, as Dory says. <laughs> You've had the casting done for the prosthetic. Yeah, that was a good day. <laughs> Another step closer. Yeah, oh, I, I was waiting for that because that whole part of this process is something I'm really interested in. I'm not scared at all by the thought of having a prosthetic. I'm really excited. Um, I think people with prosthetic limbs are rock stars. <laughs> I think what they're able to do and, you know, people that develop these limbs are amazing. You know, the the how the joints work how how they look it, it, it has come on in leaps and bounds in the last couple of years in the last dec couple of decades i should say they they have changed so much um and i i just i can't wait i can't wait to actually stand in my prosthetic and feel my two feet on the ground again obviously it won't be my actual foot but i'll feel that level of balance um, and for many years before i had my operation i didn't feel that because i had an 11 centimeter leg length discrepancy so on the right hand side, I was always on my tiptoes. Um, and if I wanted to feel that foot on the ground, I had to bend my other leg. So I never felt that just that feeling of standing tall and feeling secure. So I, I can't wait. Um, I had the, the casting for it um, two weeks ago and I will feel the first version of it um, on the 20th. Um, and I should have the final product by the end of October. 
And I'm just, oh my God, I'm so excited. A diagnosis of childhood cancer is overwhelming. As a charity founded by parents and survivors who have walked this road, Childhood Cancer Ireland is here to help others to navigate this journey. From information and advice on dealing with diagnosis, to getting through treatment and providing links to cancer support groups and peer-to-peer support, you can access essential information on our website, childhoodcancer.ie. To help us to continue our services, please text GOLD to 50300 and donate €4 Euro or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. What you just said there about feeling grounded, feeling balanced, feeling those two feet on the floor and not having to adapt, not having to be on tippy toes on one or bent knee on the other, but actually just standing. It's something that we all do, but until it's taken away from you, until you have to do it in pain, until you have to do it in adaption, we don't we don't fully appreciate how simple it is. But yet, as you said, all this medical science is going towards supporting people, figuring out how to do it. It's fascinating. And it's 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 such a gift that we can live at a time where it is available. Yeah. And like I didn't even realize how lucky I was before this operation. You know, I used to think about how it would feel to stand firmly with two feet on the ground. And obviously I knew by having this operation, I wouldn't feel that. I wouldn't feel my foot on the ground, but I would feel that balance. Um, But when I had, you know, in this last six and seven months, I only thought I didn't have balance before. Now it is, honestly, I can't even describe how difficult it has been to basically stand on one foot that's what I obviously have been doing. Um, yes, I've been using crutches and my wheelchair around the house, but to go from A to B, like to give you an example, to try and cook in a kitchen, say by yourself without having to have someone help you is almost impossible because you either have to use your crutches and not be able to carry things because your hands are in the crutches or you have to lean on cabinets and then kind of shuffle things along um, to get them towards the cooker then you're wondering, like, you know, you're worried that if you're taking something out of the oven, like, what if you lose your balance and you're obviously holding something hot? Um, I had a really bad fall about two months ago and I actually ended up breaking my ankle on the bad side, on the right-hand side. Um, That was something that I had been told. It's it's not a case of if you fall for an amputee, it's a case of when you fall. Um, And I I knew that, and I'm so glad I read a really powerful, person's story before my operation because I I didn't fear the fall I knew I knew it would happen eventually and I was okay with that um it's it's inevitable if you're on one foot you are eventually going to lose your balance and fall unfortunately because of the nature of my surgery with my my leg facing the other direction when I did fall my foot didn't really it couldn't go the way it should in that situation um and it resulted in me breaking my ankle. Um, that was a huge setback, both physically and especially mentally. Because as I said, I didn't fear the fall before, but I now fear falling all the time. Um, and I'm somebody that prided myself on getting past fears before. This is when I actually, I can't. I've worked so hard on trying to move past it. But the day I had my fall, 
I wasn't doing anything reckless. I was literally leaning on my crutch and the floor underneath me was greasy and the crutch just went. Um, and I hadn't, a, I had nothing, I had no hope. I just went down like a sack of spuds and <laughs> um, there was nothing nearby to grab onto. Um, and as a result, I just went down. And now anytime I'm in say a hotel lobby where they have the lovely shiny tiled floors that look gorgeous and clean and tidy, they're my worst nightmare now because I'm just looking at it like it's an ice rink. Um, and I'm I'm fearful all the time. And obviously when you're fear, you're tense. So if I did have another fall, I'm falling down with a tense body, meaning that the damage will be even worse. So it has that has made life really tough. Um, and I never could have understood that feeling until I lived it. Um, and I don't think that feeling will go away until I get my prosthetic. Because even if I fall with the prosthetic on, the leg will be protected inside it. So I'll be okay. It'll be painful it'll be embarrassing but I'll be okay whereas at the moment if I fall that leg is so fragile that I just I don't know what could happen at, at any time and it I, ha I have to be honest it's probably been the most difficult thing I've dealt with so far is that fear of falling it's it's intense vulnerability yeah of something as you said you weren't doing reckless you're not you can't avoid normal things like just standing there is risk around you because your body is compromised right now yeah there's risk everywhere there's risk in my home I'm lucky that I live in a bungalow I'm not dealing with stairs every day but getting in and out of the shower um there's risk there now obviously I had an occupational therapist come to the house and help me with certain mobility aids and and various bits and bobs but it literally takes a split second and you can't be aware 24 seven, you know, I could reach out to, to grab something and my foot could slip underneath me and then I'm gone. Like there's, and I don't want to live a life where I'm focusing on it 24 seven. I also don't want to live a life where I'm afraid to leave the house. And I found that after the fall, only for the fact that I was going to Birmingham the following week, um, which was really bad timing because I was going over to have intense physio. And once they realized the ankle was broken, it meant that unfortunately they couldn't do anything with that area, which is the main area we were going to be working on. But I'm, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm now with hindsight glad it happened when it happened because it meant I was able to go over to Birmingham, be, be with my specialists. You know, when I'm in Ireland, I don't have specialists. If something goes wrong, I have regular amazing doctors, but they don't know my history whereas my specialists in Birmingham do so when I was able to go over and have CT scans done and and have them basically like look after me I felt I felt secure again um, but also by actually having to travel to Birmingham um, so soon after the surgery was actually a blessing in disguise for my for my mental state because it didn't it stopped me from turning inward and becoming fearful mm. of everything around me and um, I had to just put my Put my brave face on and get on with it and I think that in some ways is the best is the best way you know you know I took I talked about um decision making earlier and having made this decision myself and that that actually being more difficult um in this case having choices taken away from me have, just having to go to Birmingham was was easier um I, I had no choice but to face um things head on and I, I deal better in those situations um so as much as I I still have that fear um it hasn't stopped me you know I've I've still traveled down to 
as I mentioned earlier, traveled to Cork, traveled to Kilkenny, traveled to Dublin multiple times. Um, and I've been put myself in situations where there's lots of people around me and there's lots of potential risk. But I've also obviously looked after myself. I haven't I haven't just thrown caution to the wind. Um, but I've I've done it enough times, put myself in in those situations enough times to ward off that, you know, that overwhelming fear that would that would stop me from wanting to go out of the house. But it did just remind me that it reminds me to not take my way of being and my mindset for granted because it isn't just inbuilt in everybody. Um, and I suppose it was a had to be it was a, a hurtful way of reminding myself, but it's I have taken a lot from it and a lot of positives have come from it. So, yeah, I mean, if we for those that have always had two feet that they can find stability on, they haven't had to work their mindset at all. Yeah. And you have had the opposite for 20 years where all you've had in terms of maintaining your physical health has been controlling your mindset. Yeah. In some ways, it's made it easier. It's easier for me to deal with huge setbacks than it is for others. You know, I don't fall to pieces. Um, it's not something that I even think about doing. Whereas, and I think because of that, I just assume that's the way everybody is. Um, but obviously it isn't. Um, you know, the easier things have been for you, the harder you will obviously find a, a, a negative and a, a distressing situation. And that's that's normal, you know. You, I'm not gonna take that away from anybody. That's totally normal, and it the only way they'll build strength is by experiencing those those setbacks. And so you're building this into what you offer in terms of your career path and how we can all benefit from the life lessons that you've been dealt, but that at least you can support us all now with. <laughs> yeah, well, I like to think that, but um, yeah, basically, like I don't think anything further other than. By sharing my story, I hope that people can take what they want from it. Um, I'm not expecting them to be sitting taking notes. It's not. It's never that type of like. Unless they're in the auditorium where you are the speaker. <laughs> yeah, um, and even then, I I actually encourage, I actively encourage people to just sit back and listen, mm. and you know, cherry pick, take what what they can relate to, um, because that's what I do when I when I you know any of the research that I did before my operation. Um, I chose what I read. I chose what I took in. Um, and like with my feeds, I only follow people that provide a positive message to me. I don't follow Love Island people. <laughs> don't follow anybody like that that isn't going to provide you know a positive impact on my life because I think just life is too short to be wasting our time with stuff like that. What I would say is um, for anybody that is about to embark on their their treatment journey or or, or is listening to this having gone through it years ago and is still possibly struggling, make the most of what you have at your fingertips. And by that, I mean, do, do that bit of research that I did. Like I found the rotation plasty actually because of sharing my story online, somebody reached out to me and said, are you aware of this group? Maybe you should consider joining. I, I wouldn't have thought of it myself had somebody not suggested it. Um, and obviously it makes so much sense. Like there's groups on, on social media for everything. I just wasn't in that earlier stage, wasn't ready to kind of just Google it myself or whatever. Um, but I think you can end up going down a very positive uh, rabbit hole by doing that because you connect with like-minded people and you learn constantly through them. 
Um, and once you go through, um, whether it's treatment or whatever yourself, you can provide that knowledge to other people. It's like a pay it forward type of system. Um, and it's just such a positive thing that we have free access to um, that, that I didn't have when I initially went through my treatment. You know, when I was diagnosed with Ewing's, my own doctor admitted he didn't fully understand what it was because he hadn't had a patient at that stage that had it before. So we were sent home with this heartbreaking news and like my poor parents being given this information and not even having back then you would have been given leaflets but not even having a leaflet on Ewing's and uh, we then had to travel over to London to have the surgery so you know everything that was that I had to do as part of my treatment was away from you know it was over in the UK or it was I don't know we just we just didn't have the access that we have today um, and I, I just urge people to join groups don't be afraid don't be embarrassed you know if young people are listening don't think it's embarrassing to reach out to somebody else like there could be people there could be um public figures that have that are now speaking about this follow them reach out to them drop them a message because you never know they might just respond and they could change everything for you um you know just to touch very briefly on perfect example of that is a man that I possibly mentioned in our last chat and um, Michael Robert Brands and um, the athlete from Holland that's exactly how I ended up being introduced to him and um, we ended up doing a world record attempt together in Holland um, in 2018 2017 maybe um, and what he taught me he was three-time cancer survivor um, and he lost part of his leg every time he was diagnosed and he ended up being a full um full like hindquarter amputee what he taught me was unbelievable the first person I contacted when I made the decision about the rotation plasty was him um because I nearly felt I wanted to make him proud that I I had come this far that I was able to make this decision he is just somebody that I as I say found online and he became an amazing friend um, and a mentor of sorts um, and those those kind people are out there you just have to be willing to find them and search for them and you are one of them by opening up your story <laughs> for us on this podcast but for what you're doing on Instagram by as you said not just sharing your story but sharing it in a way that if somebody is going through it they don't need to see fear they don't need to see images they don't relate to they see the reality of how a cancer diagnosis can impact you in the long term and you'll always have to pull into that toolbox and find mental resilience to make the next best decision but you've done it in a way that shows you know you're here to live and you didn't just survive cancer to to let your body you know not enjoy the full potential of what's ahead of you exactly. you're inspiring others as you go you're turning what you're learning into a, you know a passionate source of of wealth for us all through the through the work that you do with your motivational speaking um i I'm, I'm not quite sure if you know just the impact that you're having by having gone through this and having been so courageous but you are thank you kind of hard to accept praise I, I get cringy on the inside <laughs> i think that's just an irish thing we really find it hard to acknowledge praise but in this in this moment i will fully take that on and thank you for saying it um because there has been times where i i haven't wanted to share something and i've had to remind myself 
why I chose to, to share it in the first place. Um, now, obviously, if there's something I'm really uncomfortable with sharing, that's my decision not to do so. And it's the same for everybody. But if I feel that something will have a positive impact on someone else, then it makes it easier to share. Um, because I'm I'm on the other side of that, constantly trying to find positive pieces of people's story that will help me through. Um, so there's almost like a responsibility on my end to do the same. Um, and as, as we said at the start, it's made a, a huge amount of this easier by sharing. Um, and there is, there's, you know, there's a sense of community there that we're so lucky that we have, you know, you can have lovely conversations with people when you're in moments of doubt or feeling a little bit down about the situation. You can just have a nice chat with somebody um, and they can turn your day around. Um, and it's, I, I think we should, with the whole social media thing, we should try and embrace it in as much of a positive way as we can and cut out anything that isn't. If you're reading something that's making you feel anger or disappointment, just stop viewing stuff like that. It's, a, it's literally the press of a button and you, you don't see it anymore. We don't have to tolerate any of that. You know, we have, we have control. Um, and hopefully by me sharing my story, um, I'm taking control back myself, but also helping others in, in the process. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Gold Ribbon Conversation. There are more Gold Ribbon stories written by those fighting childhood cancer on our website, childhoodcancer.ie, and you'll find a link in our show notes. If you can, we would love you to share this podcast across social media using hashtag Gold Ribbon Conversations as it can help more families to discover this show. This podcast was produced by The Brand Story for Childhood Cancer Ireland, hosted by Sinead O'Moore and sound production by Alan Breslin.